Wasn't that good? Give God a round of applause, man. How cool it is to be in his house this morning. God is so present. You guys are awesome in worship here this morning. The only thing that's bad about doing that is uh, after getting that fired up and stuff, emotional and snotting and all that stuff, man, it's hard to preach. But anyway, we're welcome to Connect Church, and I uh, probably shouldn't have said that, but anyway, uh, welcome to Connect Church. We're so glad to have you guys here. We really do love Jesus here at Connect Church, amen? We really do love Jesus and so thankful to be in his presence here today. My name is Terry Pierce. I had the wonderful privilege for 20 plus years of being a pastor here now, uh, raising up kids here, and uh, the guy just walked off stage, grew up in this church, and uh, more Morville graduate and leading worship. Who knew that? But anyway, uh, just so cool uh, to have you guys uh, in the house today and uh, be a part of what God is doing in this community. Last Sunday, uh, we launched into a sermon series called The Gospel of Luke, God's Plan. And we shared with you last Sunday in this introductory message, uh, and by the way, uh, we jumped into chapter 2. And the reason we skipped chapter 1 is not because we don't like it or we don't believe part of the Bible. We believe the whole inspired Word of God cover to cover. But we're going to save Luke chapter 1 for those of you that are not familiar with the Bible because it tells about this whole thing about Jesus being born. So December makes sense to use Luke chapter 1. So anyway, y'all tracking with us? So we dove into the middle of Luke chapter 2 last Sunday uh, about Jesus uh, and with Mary and Joseph, and he was a young boy. And what we shared with you guys, a message, and this was so neat. I met a family that came back their second time here today, and uh, they were sharing with me. They said, yeah, last Sunday was our very first Sunday here. We heard our, you know, the, very, the message, and it was on God has a plan for parents. That was the title of the message last Sunday, and they said, we came back for part two, and I said, oh, cool, or do you guys have kids? And he looked at me, and he goes, we have six. Would you all pray for this family? <laughs> Amen. Uh, and so what a timely part to come. They beat you guys, uh, that they come to our church, and, and God delivers a message into their life. But here's the message that we shared with parents about what God's plan is for your home. And this is what we get, uh, your, your takeaway last week was, grace is not only the relational doorway to God's heart, but it is also the feature of his relationship with us that he consistently uses to maintain closeness to our hearts. And so we helped you guys unpack uh, that truth out of Luke chapter 2 last week. And the truth of the matter is, is if we will bring grace into our homes, and today you're going to learn the balance. And I know that a lot of us have, you know, believed, especially in the Baptist church, we've got to have rules and we've got to have discipline, and we do. But what we've left off and, and what become a part of our American culture, and this is last Sunday sermon, so if you need this, you've got kids, you need to go back and check it out. But we've raised our kids in a generation that what we taught wrongly in the church is that if you follow all the rules and you bring discipline, that guarantees you your kids are going to follow Jesus, and that's absolutely a lie from hell, and we're watching a whole generation run out of the church and run away from faith in God. And what we're saying is rules and discipline are a piece of it, but the saving grace of your children and my grandchildren is the grace relationship in our homes with mom and dad and the kids. That's last week's message. Go check it out if you haven't heard about that. We're going to add a little bit to that this morning as well. We also learned that Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. Mind-blowing. Uh, anyway, so did you guys get that? Uh, anyway, who wrote the book of Luke? He literally shrugged his shoulders. Some of you are moral teachers. Anyway, I'm just saying. Uh, so I, I pray for you. Uh, all right. Uh, so here's the thing. Luke was not only the author of the book, but he was also a medical physician. And we shared with you guys how that Dr. Luke lived his life with the Apostle Paul. We would argue in Bible scholarship that he discipled the Apostle Paul. Pretty big, important role. And... He wrote this gospel a little later than the others because can you imagine living in an age where everything in the government and people around them was falling apart, persecution was happening to the Christian community, and church people, rather than running to God in their country, were running away from the church and God and were quitting and Dr. Luke writes this epistle, and he says, here's what I'm going to do for the early church, maybe A.D. 40 or 50. I know you guys are going through it. Here's my message, Miss Marie. God 
has a plan. Jesus is the plan. And over and over again, he tells the stories of Jesus seeing God has a plan for that generation. And I'm here to tell you, for the next year, we're going to unpack the gospel of Luke. And I'm here to tell you today, America, I'm here to tell you today, Connect Church, God is still on the throne. God still has a plan. It's not in a political party. It's not in your government. And I'm telling you, the plan is his son, Jesus, and it's never changed. I'm telling you, it works. And so this morning, with an introduction to the Gospel of Luke, who wrote it? There you go. Yeah, all right. Hey, it may have failed at once, but we got it down now. Here's part two of the message this morning. God has a plan for when we lose Jesus. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verse 41 this morning. God has a plan when we lose Jesus. I know that sounds like a crazy title this morning, and some of you are here, many of you are here for the very first time in our church, and you're going, man, this guy's Jesus slid off his crackers. And let me just be very transparent. I've never wrote a title like this. I've never preached on this text before in 30-some-odd years of ministry. But I'm telling you, look at me this morning. If I've ever had God give me a word that our country needs, and I love you, church, but we need. I'm going to go ahead and tell you now up front. This is one of those times when I'm going to ask you to share this message on social media over and over again. Because we're going to get into some holy ground stuff today that I really do believe. We desperately need to hear. And it's not going to be easy. But what do you do when you lose Jesus? Mary and Joseph may have been the first people on planet Earth to lose Jesus, but they're not the last. Every single one of us in this room this morning has at one time or another lost Jesus in our life. And so let me introduce it to you this way. We've all made mistakes. How many of you have ever left your kid at church? Anybody in here? Raise your hand. Have you ever left your kid at church. All right, we've got a few hands going up around the room. That's terrible, Mary. All right, now let's get the rest of you involved. All of our parents in our nursery and children's churches like crazy today. Uh, we've got so many young families in our church. So let's just get real with all you parents and grandparents in the church. How many of you wanted to leave your kids at church? Right? <laughs> there we go. All right, now we're talking. And how we got you in the house. Amen. How many of you want to leave them in jail? All right, anyway. Uh, all right, so I've uh, <laughs> got a few. I got you. I'm with you. I've uh, been there. Uh, all right, so here's the thing. We've all made those mistakes. Let me tell you our story real quickly. Your beloved pastor's wife, this saintly, godly Boleyn. Oh, I don't have the voice to do any. Anyway, oh, uh, anyway, uh, that's why I don't sing. Um, so your pastor's wife, blessed, holy one, righteous, you know, good pastor's wife that she is and all that, lived with me for 30 years. That's enough to move her up, you know, right behind Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And anyway, do you know what your pastor's wife, Sister Boleyn, what she did when her kids were little in this church in the old sanctuary, she went home. We used to live in a parsonage one block from here. And she went home without her children. And then, and then she had the audacity to tell me, do I look like super dad? <laughs> Shut up, Andrew. Anyway, he's mine. He's mine. So anyway, um, to, she told me, bring the kids home. I'm the pastor of the church. I've been doing Jesus work. We had company coming over, and she went home to do what Martha and you know, Mary do, and she's cooking dinner for uh, you know, families and coming over. And um, So I see two kids out there, Nate and you know, Aaron and Andrew, and they're talking, and so I slap them and say, get in the car, boys, we're going home, truck. And so we drive one block <laughs> up the hill here, and we go home. And I go inside, and by the way, for those of you who don't know us, we have three kids. <laughs> and, uh, and so we go home, and I bring in Aaron and Andrew, 
And uh, I assumed that the baby, he was like four or five, that, you know, respectable mother would have at least taken home the baby. Anyway, I'm just saying it. And so I drive home, and uh, I go in the parsonage, and I do what I do best. And, you know, I preach and work my day. And so I go in and sit down the chair and watch the football game. Glenn's in there just getting all the food ready and, you know, just worshiping Jesus. You know, pastor's family, we're singing Kumbaya. And anyway, no. anyway, and so, uh, so we're, we've discussed and already had a few arguments. Anyway, and so all of a sudden we get a knock on the door. And it's one of our church members, Alice and Seta. And uh, Belen answers the door. And I look around the chair and go, what do you want? You know, we're done. <laughs> I'm done with church, folks. You know, it's my time off. And Allison goes, did you forget something? And I'm looking around. You know, no, we're good. And Belen goes, no, we're good. And she goes, here's Adam. And she goes, I found him, and he was just sitting around there by himself. And uh, she said, I looked at Adam, and if any of you have ever been around our youngest son, Adam, she looked at Adam, and she goes, did your parents leave you? Adam goes, mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you want to go home? Eh, it don't matter. Uh, you know, and so Adam, that's Adam excited. That's Adam depressed. And so anyway, uh, and so we carry him in there, and I'm sure, and then, you know, and then the whole lovely conversation between Belinda and I go on. And, and, and by the way, you've got to give us a pass on this. And every parent that has more than two kids, if you've got three or more, you're going to totally relate to this. Once you get to the third one, it's like, you know what, you quit counting. It's all of you parents that wig out over your firstborn and how they can't touch anything and they can't go there and you've got to have the perfect light for them. By the time you get to the third one, you just let them raise their cells because it just doesn't matter anymore. You're tired. You're tired. Grant should know. He's got 17. So anyway, so it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's there and, and we get that. We're just tired. It is. But my favorite is Pastor Ed Smith. He used to go to church here, and he was preaching in his little country church, and uh, he had three sons too, and so I love Pastor Ed. And he said, and they, they went home like Belen and I, and they get home and realize that one of their boys is missing too. And uh, they run back to the church, and they call some church members, and they meet there. And I get this visual. They're all walking through the building just frantic about looking for their little boy. And he walks up behind him, and he goes, Dad, what are you looking for? <laughs> and so I love, I love that. One. That was one of my favorite ones. But anyway, uh, so we've all been there in our place in our life where we've lost something valuable. And here's what we learned last week in our text, that Mary and Joseph were righteous parents. The boy Jesus is now 12 years old in our text today. And every year, a good Jewish parent would take your family on a pilgrimage from whatever town you lived in, and they lived in Nazareth, Dr. Daryl Bach, New Testament Greek scholar, he says that the journey from Nazareth to Jerusalem was about 30, mile, or 30, uh, was about 30 miles from them and about a uh, three-day journey. And so they would take this trek every year with their family, and they would go to three festivals, Dr. Bach describes in their culture in those day and time. And so a good Jewish family would take your family to Jerusalem to worship in the temple three times a year, and it would be uh, the Passover was where you began with. And now the Passover was so significant, and that's on the occasion that we find in Luke chapter 2, Josh, is the celebration of the Passover. And now here's why this is important for you and I to understand this morning. For the Jewish faith, you were remembering in the Passover how Moses had led the nation of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. You were a slave, and now you had been set free by the grace of God. And they look back at the Passover, and you would go to the temple, and you would teach your children that the reason that we are a free people today is because when the death angel passed over the nation of Israel and the, Egypt, and the Egyptian uh, people, the only way that your firstborn child survived was if a, the blood of a lamb covered the door of your house. And that you and I on this side of Calvary understand the significance of the blood of the lamb that not only saves us, but covers our house. 
and so that you taught your children this powerful story. But then there was an two other festivals that you took, or two other celebrations to the temple that you took your family to. The second one was to celebrate the day of Pentecost, and the third one was to celebrate the Feast of the Tabernacles. So at least three times a year, you were bringing your family to remember God and honor Him. I know I shouldn't do this, but I can't help it. Some of you all still do the same thing. I see you on Christmas, Easter, and on a church supper, <laughs> and you got your three days a year. Anyway, I'm just kidding, uh, sort of, but anyway, uh, so we, we still sometimes do that. Don't do that. That was supposed to have been funny, but whatever. <laughs> now you laugh. Could have helped out a little bit sooner, Christy. All right, anyway, <laughs> so in the text today, we see that Jesus has been brought to the temple for this important celebration with his, with his parents, Joseph and Mary. And what do they do? They celebrate the Passover, and then they leave Jesus in the temple. And it's easy to judge the parents, but you need to understand the context a little bit deeper here this morning as well of the text. When you and I would look at this and we would go, oh, that's terrible parentage, or, you know, I can't believe Ben and Terry left Adam, whatever. But here's the thing. In those days and times, they didn't travel. It, let me illustrate it to you this way. Uh, we have a family in our church called the Hallmarks, and they live off Auburn Road, and they're related to like 17 other families in the North Auburn community. And so if it'd be like the Hallmarks deciding everybody in the whole clan is going to come to church today. So they got like 20 vehicles, and you know, they come down Auburn Road to come to Connect Church and blah, blah, blah. And so you got the whole crew. It's sort of like if uh, the Chandlers or the Tuckers come to church. You know, they got to uh, get a van or 14 other cars to get all the kids there. And so they all and they traveled in those days and times in a caravan. And it was because for safety needs, you didn't just travel with Joseph and Mary and their family. You would travel with maybe 50 to 100 other people that would be in a caravan. So here's what would be going on, Ashley. You'd have a group of kids playing at the front of the caravan as they made their journey down the walk. You'd have a group of kids playing in the back. And so you as a parent, you weren't watching little Johnny or little... Julie, uh, you know, during the whole trip, you were just knowing that they were there together and everybody collectively sort of watched over this. So it wasn't a huge shocker that jo Joseph and Mary had been traveling a day before they realized that Jesus was missing. It, it, it made sense. So now think about this, though. They had traveled one day's journey towards their three-day journey. Then they realize Jesus is missing. They travel back day two, and then they spend their third day trying to find Jesus in the city. And every mom in the room at this point knows how Mary's feeling. Three days, your 12-year-old boy's been missing. You're nuts. You're going crazy. Your emotion, your adrenaline. Uh, Joseph is just like, calm down, Mary, calm down. We're going to find him. We're going to find him. And so with that going on in the text, Let's read, the, uh, let's read the scriptures this morning. Now his parents went down to Jer Jerusalem, and every year at the feast of the Passover, what I just taught you. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended and they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, and then when they began to search for him among the relatives and the acquaintance, and when they did not find him, this is the caravan I was talking about, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him in a temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, you ready, ladies? Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Some of us would have, that was nice. And he said unto them, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And we're going to unpack what that looks like for you today. And you need to hang on for this. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth was, and, and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in the stature in favor with God 
and man. You see, they lost Jesus that day. But listen to me this morning. They never stopped looking for him. The answer to the title of this message today, Have You Lost Jesus? It's not a matter of when or a matter of if. It is when you lose Jesus. It is not a matter of if. Every single one of us are going to have days, weeks, it can turn into months and years, where we leave Jesus behind on our journey of life. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the answer to the question. They lost Jesus, but they never stopped looking for him until they found him. That's what I'm going to unpack in this story for you guys today. The, the, the victory that Jesus wants you and I to have is that we've got to get back to that place that we quit, that we never stop looking for Jesus until we find him. I went on social media this week and I asked a question to sort of use in the sermon today. And I don't know what happened, but apparently I shut down Facebook on Monday. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I didn't really. So here's the answers that you guys gave back in response to the question, have you lost, have you ever lost anything valuable or funny? And what I did is I took a collective of things that you guys answered back. Several of you, and I took the commonality of these, and so I put them together. Glasses. This is one of my favorite ones. Sanity. All right, parents. You've lost kids. We talked about that one. Another one of you guys said, I lost 50 pounds. And then another one said, well, I spent a lot of money on gaining my 50 pounds. But anyway, uh, this one really bothered me about some of you all. You lost your phone while talking on it. If you'll see me after church, we have counseling. And you might, they have meds for that. Some of you have lost a sense of humor. Now, I know, and thankfully, those in our church family over the last 20 years that have had me as their pastor that don't have a sense of humor, they left. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm not complaining. Anyway, uh, but the truth of the matter is, is that some of you don't think that you should laugh in church or have a good time. And I would argue that Jesus created a sense of humor. Some of you just didn't get one. <laughs> and he not only created a sense of humor, but if he did, it's good and it's blessed by him. And by the way, if anybody ought to be able to have a good time and ought to be Christian people in God's house because we have a reason to be happy. Can I say, can I get an amen? Just throwing that out there. An iPad, preacher friend lost his iPad in a rental car and um, he, he didn't know what to preach this Sunday. Now, this one, this one really concerns me about some of you guys. You've lost your wedding photos. This all goes in a group. One gal lost her wedding dress. I hope it was after. <laughs> wedding rings. And this was not on the list, but you guys shared this, and you shouldn't have, but I, I'm just embarrassed. More than one. You guys need some real help here. There are men in this church that you all married that taped over their wedding video a ball game and erased all of their memories. And now, I promise you, on their next marriage, <laughs> they're not going to do that. That's terrible. How, why? And then finally, we get to the personal ones. And these were uh, some that I can relate to. Uh, Amen. How many of us have lost our energy? We've lost our hair. Insert ball joke right now. All right, go ahead. By the way, I've heard them all, so just try a new one. Oh my gosh. This one really bothered me, though. And there was multiple people on this one. Several of you have lost fingers. What are you doing? I just don't understand. Whoa, I lost my pinky today. Uh, anyway, I don't know how you wake up and do that. I, I just don't get that. And so stay away from knives. I don't know what you're, but then this one was sort of, yeah, this one was gross. Several of you shared, <laughs> you've lost your teeth and they dropped into some really gross stuff. And so can I just make a suggestion? 
is that some of you all uh, brush your teeth before you come to church, and so that was amazing. But my favorite one out of the whole list was, and I didn't put it on here, but one of our church members, one of our senior ladies, Miss Brenda Suddeth, and she shared that she and Big Tommy were at a funeral. <laughs> And, they, and the funeral wasn't funny. I'm sorry, but I'm just trying to get the story. And anyway, <laughs> so it's not funny, guys. And so anyway, she, she, they, they were at a funeral, and she was, saying her, <laughs> she was saying her goodbyes at the casket. And apparently, the, ch- the chain on her necklace broke, and she didn't know it. And she had a beautiful, valuable cross that fell off <laughs> in, in the dead person's casket. I mean, and they were in there. And anyway, and, and so she doesn't realize it till the next day, and she's looking around, and she's wanting to wear her necklace, and she realized that, you know, it's just the chain and the necklace, and then she thinks back, where did I last wear that? And she goes, oh, yeah, that was last night at the funeral home, and I mean, yesterday at the funeral, and she realizes, and then she has the dilemma, do I call, <laughs> do I call the geese and ask him to, you know, raise him back up? <laughs> anyway, uh, so, uh, I mean, what a, you know, what a dilemma, but she chose not to. All right, uh, good call. So here's the thing. We've lost a lot of valuable things in our life over the years, and the question that we're asking you guys today, what happens when we lose Jesus? And I did a lot of humor here this morning because I wanted us to remember this message today. But we're fixing to really dive deep into this. And we're going to get serious this morning. What do we do? Because this is serious. What do we do when we lose Jesus? The first principle that I want to share with you this morning out of this text is where did I go wrong? The question that we have to ask if we're going to find Jesus in our life. Mary and Joseph had lost Jesus. And what did they have to do before they could find him? They had to ask the question, where did I go wrong? Don't you think, ladies, that Mary was just, her brain was just going nuts, 100 miles an hour. What, where did I last see Jesus at? Where did we lose him at? Her mind is just going frantic about where's the last time that I saw Jesus. Every mom in here could relate to that. And every single one of us, at one time or another, has lost Jesus in our life. And my question before you guys tonight, uh, this morning is, is why don't we get crazy uh, like Mary did about looking for Jesus? Where did we go wrong at? And you know the story. Here's your story. Here's my story. Somewhere along the way in this journey called life, the devil tempts us. And we make stupid choices, Josh. We leave Jesus out of our life. We get busy trying to live out the American dream, just trying to make a living for our family, for whatever's going on in our life. We just make stupid decisions when the devil gives them our way. Man, I'm looking at a lot of you that have really done that well. Look back at me. And the truth of the matter is, the problem is, is we don't ask the question, where did I lose him at? Where did I go wrong, Grant? Where did I mess up at? And, and here's the thing this morning, and let's just dig down right now. If you're here this morning, and you're not bothered by the fact that Jesus isn't walking with you in your life right now, and you're just busy doing your own thing, and Jesus is nowhere around in your heart, in your life, and you don't miss him, can I ask you, A fundamental, important question this morning. If you don't miss Jesus, and you're not pursuing to find him in your life, then maybe you've never met him in the first place. Maybe all you have is church and religion. Because my family grew up in the Baptist church because we go to whatever church because that's the way my family and my parents taught me. I'm telling you, your parents don't save you. Church doesn't save you. Religion doesn't do a a, a dime's worth of good in your life. If you have never met Jesus, no wonder you're not missing him. He's not a part of, you're not a part of the family. And you're not going to miss something that you've never experienced. And that is a serious question to ask ourselves. But maybe you're here this morning 
and you ask the question, what went wrong? Where did you miss Jesus at? And let me ask you this one. If you've lost Jesus in your life, then why are you not coming back to church to find him? Where did Mary and Joseph go when they lost Jesus, Mark? They went back to the temple where they last met with him. And it is a serious thing in our life. When we come to this place, that we don't have a good answer for why in the world we're not looking for Jesus in our lives. And I'm going to be honest with you. I so wanted to share three practical points and do what I do as a preacher to help you figure out how to find Jesus because we love information. But the Holy Spirit said, no, Terry. What I wanted you to tell our people is I want you to warn them. And those that are watching online today, either after this service because our folks shared or you're watching it right now, there is a huge warning that is fixing to come your way. And it's straight out of the Holy Scripture. And it answers the reason why you've got to ask the question, where did I lose Jesus and what did I do wrong? Would you look at the screen this morning? In all seriousness, this is hard stuff, but this is a game changer. Hebrews 10 and 26. Uh I can't do this, I'm sorry. This is, the Holy Spirit is in this room right now. And this is so life and death and eternity. Would you stand with me as we read this? And I'm telling you, you're not going to hear this. Preachers don't preach on this. But this is in the book, and this is the answer that God has given me for you guys today about what do you do when you lose Jesus. Here's the warning. For if we go on sinning deliberately... For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, who's he talking to there, guys? Talking to Christians. There is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone that has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy and on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said... Vengeance is mine and I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God without Jesus. You may be seated. I think the key unpacking of the wordage here is when the Hebrew writer says deliberate sins. I'm not talking about those of us that struggle day in and day out to put the best foot forward and allow Jesus' grace to heal us of our struggles and our temptations. We're not reading our Bibles. We're we're watching stuff we shouldn't watch. Jesus, help me to get victory over this. I'm talking about when you deliberately will not open up your Bible. You deliberately will not get your butt at church. You deliberately will not have time for the God of the universe. When you read this text, he is appealing to a group of people who are Jewish believers. Now listen to me, those of you that have been burnt by the church and who have no use for Christianity because some preacher, because some church member did something to you way back in the day. Listen to me. He's writing and saying to them, in the Old Testament, 
Those of you that are wanting to quit and leave the New Testament church, back in the day, you Jewish believers, here was the rule. Those of you that want to follow rules and think that that makes everything perfect, he said back in the day, we had to get two or three witnesses that would come up and say, guess what, to the priest. We've been watching Lee and Mary with, you know, their kids. And you know what? That Mary, she's a trip. And Lee and Mary, they're just not living right. I'm just kidding. They are. I don't know. I don't kid you. Anyway, but uh, anyway, and, and they would go to the priest, and they would literally, two or three would tattletale on them. What are you talking about, John? They do the same thing to you. Anyway, and so, uh, and they would go tattletale on them, and they would say, hey, they're not living right. And the priest would go to that family and say, listen, this is the witness against you. Either you sacrifice and repent, or we're kicking you out of the community. Now hear me. Some of you have had some self-righteous, hypocritical crap go on in your life in church and in the name of Jesus, and you've had people judge you and tell you that you weren't living up or whatever, and I realized that you ran away from those churches and those preachers, and guess what? Listen to me and look at me. Good call. Good call. I wouldn't stay there either. But you need to quit lumping everybody else into that same basket because there are some good churches. Are you looking at me? Listen to me. There are some Bible-believing, preaching people who just simply love Jesus, who are not perfect, who are screwed up just like you are, but they're learning to follow and live by the grace of God, and you need to quit making excuses because you got burned once, and you need to run back to Jesus. Enough is enough. And so he warns them. And he says, for those of you that are still wanting to go back to Judaism, you don't need a witness against you. Because how much more horrific is it, Matt, when we have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, you know who your only judge is? You're looking at me? Your only judge is Jesus. And that literally should scare you to want to get out of hell. Because let me say it again. This church isn't judging you. Other people are not judging you. Jesus is your judge. And what he's saying is, how dare you not follow me? How dare you live your life without me? I sent my son from the glory of heaven. Jesus is a part of the Holy Trinity. He was there and spoke the creation into existence. Without him, you don't have another breath for another second. And yet, you won't get your butt to come worship him. You won't offer him a tithe. You won't, but, but oh, you're not going to tithe. You're not going to give to him. He only asked for 10%. Take the other 90 and have a good time. And give me 10% to get your heart. And you won't even do that. You won't go to church. You won't follow him. And when you lose him, you don't even look for him. You've literally said, your son means nothing to me. Thank you. It all caused every one of us to go, wow, shh, unbelievable. What do you do when you lose Jesus? How much worse punishment do you think? Look at the screen. Will it be deserved? It's hard to read this, guys. By the one who's trampled underfoot, the Son of God, and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and outraged the Spirit of grace. The truth is, too many of us are just a fan of Jesus. 
we talk about Jesus. And one last warning, and then I want to give you some help. How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? Go on social media and post your little scriptures and how much you love Jesus and pass on your little memes about when you're going through a hard time or there's a death in your family and you, oh, you're so thankful that Jesus loves you. You never darken his door. You never give to his cause. You never support him. You don't spend any time in his word and you don't pray. And you somehow, John Brown think that you post a social media post and that somehow that makes you spiritual and Jesus and his grace is in love with you. I'm telling you, it ain't cutting it. He's your judge, not me. Don't get mad and tune me out right now. I'm not, I'm not, I didn't write it. My job is to love you enough to warn you. I, I came back from Memphis and my surgeon this past Friday. They did my spinal infusion surgery. And, and as I was driving back from my doctor, my checkup, I got somewhere between Memphis and Holly Springs. And there was these giant signs on the Interstate 22. And it said, bridge is going down to one lane. And you know, he's a state patrolman. You know what the idiots do. Everybody just starts darting in. And they're just, instead of trying to get in one line, and they've all seen the warning signs, the morons are trying to pass us on the right side and then dive in at the last second. And they're causing everybody to go crazy. People are jumping out. And man, no, I, I, get, I, get, I get upset. I get, no, I just get road rage. I just call it like it is. And man, I'm pulling my car over, and I'm blocked. I had a semi. He was cussing. He was throwing it. And, and man, you don't you get in line, son. You ain't better than me. And, and man, and I'm blocking him from doing the stupid thing, because everybody else just follow the rules. The warning signs there, and that's all I'm doing for you guys today. The warning is, you don't get to do it your way. You don't get to do Jesus your way. You don't get to do Jesus your way. The warning is here today. It's my way. It's my way. If you love me, if you love me, look for me. Look for me, and you will find me. And that's what I want to close with this morning, is that we find rest, relief, when you find him. You find relief when you find him. Joseph and Mary found Jesus in the temple Note, get this, Joseph and Mary found Jesus in the temple where they left him. Too many of you have run away from Jesus, and you've run away from the church, and you wonder why you're struggling. You wonder why God has been silent. And instead of looking for him and finding relief, you continue to ignore him. I'm telling you, listen to me this morning, my brothers and sisters. Can you imagine, ladies, the relief of when Mary saw Jesus. And notice what she says to him, and she runs up to him. And, and you notice when we see that word as she's asking him, Jesus, what have you been doing? Notice Jesus' response in verse 49. And he said unto them, talking to his parents, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And when you read that phrase in our southern term and culture, we think, that was smart aleck by Jesus. That was rude. And after all, we can't be rude and be Jesus. But here's the thing you need to know. It wasn't rude, and he wasn't being a smart aleck. What he, if you read the original Greek language, what Jesus was simply saying is, Mom, I get this, this is good, John. Mom, don't you remember Gabriel the angel? Don't you remember what he said? He said, you're going to be giving birth to the son of the living God as a virgin. That, mom, don't you remember that I am the living God? Mom, I'm just on the mission that God gave me. Mom, I'm just doing what God called me to do. Mom, don't you remember that? And all of a sudden, it flooded over Mary. And all of a sudden, Mary realized, wow, this is 
the Father's mission. And when he uses the word Father's house there, it really should be translated, I'm about my Father's business. There is so much relief when Mary realizes she has found Jesus. And now I love this, and here's what we're going to close with. And when he went down with them, and he came to Nazareth and was submissive to them, and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and found favor with God and man. Do you know what happened? And this is where we're at with you guys today. Jesus went home with Mary and Joseph. Jesus, do you get that? Jesus, listen to me. Jesus went home with Mary and Joseph. You see, when you really find Jesus, you take him home today. You take him into your daily work. You take him to school, guys. When you get Jesus... It's not what we do here on Sunday morning. It's not the show. It's not the preacher. You don't need me. You don't need Andrew, and you don't need Tanner. What you need is Jesus. And you need to take him home with you today. And he wants to go. He wants to live every day with you. The relief to know that I'm taking Jesus with me today. He's got this. But here's the mistake that so many of y'all are making. Is you forget about him. My, um, my granddaughter was um, at a volleyball game at Morville. And um, Andrew and Ashton were there. And so, uh, you know, I've been there so many times with the kids when they were growing up. Not Andrew, because he just sucked at sports. But anyway. And um, we were there and watching the volleyball game Thursday night and watching Taylor and them and, and, um, and the others play. And so Nora got bored, and um, Taylor wasn't playing that well. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, and, uh, and, so we were <laughs> and so she got bored, and she's almost no, not even two. And so I did what granddads do, and I picked her up, and I said, you know, well, let's go have some fun. And so while everybody else was, you know, watching the ball game and all that stuff, I've been in that gym so many times. So I take her up into the upper deck of that old gym, and I let her by the hand, and I show her how to walk up the stairs and go to the very top of the gym, and then, much to her mom and dad's horror, you know, she would run back and forth on the bleachers, because that's what grandparents do, amen, and anyway, and so, uh, Nora's just having the time of her life, and Papa's, you know, great, and all this stuff, and then all of a sudden, Nora was having such a great time, at the top of the gym, just me and her up there, she decided to do what many of you all do every day of your life, I don't need Papa. I can do this myself. Thank you for letting me have a good time. This was fun, but I got this. And Onora's just like us. She has a sin cursed nature, and so you know what she does? Before I could even turn around, she's headed down those stairs. And you all know, she's my granddaughter. She falls. And she busted, lands on her noggin. And I mean, you would have thought her arm was cut off. I mean, you would have thought the whole world had come to a standstill. I mean, I think they stopped the volleyball game. I mean, it was blood curdling. She thought she was about to die. But you know what Nora did that you won't do? Are you listening to me? What Nora did that you all won't do is the difference. Nora didn't look at Papa T and blame me. Nora didn't run away from Papa T and go, you hurt me. No, Nora realized I made a stupid choice. Papa T was here to help me. And you know what Nora did? She ran into my arms and she cried on my shoulder. And you know what I did? I didn't give her a lecture about how stupid or dangerous this was. I loved on her and I kissed her and I said, Nora, it's going to be okay. And when we got done consoling each other, I set her down, but I said, Nora, you can't do this anymore on your own. And you know what Nora did? And this is the key, and this is why some of you are screwing up your lives and ruining your lives and are miserable. Nora reached up her little hand, and she said, let's go have, basically, let's go have fun again 
But Papa T, you carry me. You walk with me. Because when I walk with you, I can have fun and I can be safe. Ladies and gentlemen, how long are you going to try to do this without Jesus? He wants to walk with you through this life. Shall we stand? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your message this morning. We thank you for reminding me of the impact and the importance of truly making a decision for Christ. I think we have an invitation hymn that we would like to sing right now. And so okay, what we're going to do is we're just going to quietly and silently then, with every head bowed and every eye closed, and man, the Holy Spirit has settled down on this place this morning. Nobody looking around, church. I hope you're still watching online. And this morning, right now, I'm going to ask you, how long are you going to continue to do it your way? How long are you going to continue to live without Jesus? This morning, would you just repent and say, Jesus, I'm coming home. Jesus, I have failed you and I have fallen. I'm bruised and I'm battered. And Jesus, with open arms, wants to receive you by his marvelous, incredible grace. And by the blood of Jesus, he wants to pronounce you as forgiven. Somebody say amen. He can do that, and only he can do that. He is worthy, and he is capable to bind up your wounds and to heal you. Would you pray that prayer of repentance right now? Would you just step out and come if you need to come and pray at an old-fashioned altar? And say, Jesus, I'm coming back. I want to find you where I lost you. I left you in the church. I ran away from you. And Jesus, I'm coming back today to find you and to worship you. Would you just come today? Thank you for listening to the Sermon Playback Podcast from Connect Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Connect Church has two worship services on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 1030. We sincerely hope you'll visit. For more information and details, or if you have any questions you'd like answered, please visit our website at www.triconnect.church. Again, that's www.triconnect.church.